This week, and, and even potentially next week, we're going to approach God's Word uh, to learn His will concerning community. Uh, we're looking at the importance of authentic community in preparation for Love City Church's next big step in accomplishing the mission that God has given us. Uh, community groups for us are going to be an absolutely crucial part of the way that we love God, love people, and make disciples. And that is the three elements of the mission God has given us, right? We're going to love God, love people, and make disciples. And that mission is the way that we accomplish the vision. The vision is our collective goal. It's what we want to see accomplished. It's what we believe God called this church into existence to do. And our vision, our goal, is to see as many people as possible meet Jesus. And, and some of you will be deflated by this. Some of you will be excited about it. You'll notice that our goal is, is kind of never-ending because we want to see as many people meet, love, and joyfully worship Jesus as we possibly can until he either comes and gets us, this world ends, I don't know how it's all going to go, but at the end of the day, for the rest of time, as long as we're allowed to exist and be together, we want to see people meet Jesus. And so our goal, our vision is not... It's not something we're going to reach. It's like our vision is not we want to see one million people meet Jesus. I want, I want way more than that. There's way more people than that that need to hear the good news that there's hope for sinners in the gospel, right? So um, community groups for us is going to be a really vital part of discipleship, loving people, and loving God, which is our mission. Uh, the word community itself, it comes from a Latin word. Uh, it's communitas, so it's not much different. And what that describes is a group of people with a common interest or even it can have a, a connotation of a common sense of duty. And so a community, for intents and purposes and for our definition, a community is really just a group of people committed to the same goal and willing to help each other reach that goal. And so for us, we want to have a vibrant, authentic community of people that all have the same goal, that all have the same vision, that all have a deep passion, are willing to do whatever it takes, pay whatever price is necessary to see as many people as possible meet Jesus. People that really care about, that's our goal, that's the direction we're headed, and we're willing to help each other reach that goal, okay? That's what we mean when we say community, all right? Uh, turn with me, if you would, please, to Acts uh, chapter 2, verse 43. As you're turning there, um, you know, you'd really be hard-pressed to find somebody intelligent that would try to seriously argue against unity and community being an important part of a Christian's life. I'm sure you could find someone, but they wouldn't be real bright, okay? It's not something that people really argue about. Everybody knows, and community and unity and belonging is not even just a distinctly understood uh, Christian idea, but everybody understands that, that people need that or else life's pretty miserable. But um, there is, however, many different opinions on the way to create environments and conditions that are conducive to authentic community. Okay, so most people don't disagree that community is important, but many people have different ideas about how to get there. How do you create authentic community? How do you promote that? How do you create environments that, that are conducive to that being a reality? And so some uh, people, in an effort to build more real and deeper relationships between believers, they've abandoned gathering like we are doing today, all together, uh, in favor of splitting the church up into um, smaller groups. Uh, oftentimes you'll hear it called house churches. Uh, and people that have kind of gone that way, they would sometimes argue that gathering like we are here today has no value. And here's how the argument tends to go. They'll, they'll say things like, 
uh, there's not as much opportunity in a gathering like this for interaction and dialogue between people, um, and there would be much more so in a smaller group. Now, here's the thing. We, we do not disagree that smaller groups do have great benefits. It's why we're going to talk about the other side of this, which is community groups. We, we really believe there is, there is vibrant and vital benefit to doing that. Um, and the reality is in certain contexts, other countries, places where people have to hide uh, to get together, and that does exist today. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. There are countries where you can't just get together in a big group, crank up the subs, and start worshiping Jesus because men with guns will show up and kill you and your family. Yet, people in those places still do worship Jesus. They figure out a way. Sometimes they hide. Sometimes they go underground. Sometimes they, they break up into smaller groups so it's harder to be found. But uh, they'll do whatever it takes uh, to get together and to worship the Lord. So that's, that's pretty motivating to me. Um, so we don't disagree that smaller groups do have benefits, and there's certain contexts where meeting in a larger group is absolutely impossible, and so we don't even have a problem with house churches um, when that's necessary. However, we do want to look at the scriptures to see um, if the scriptures speak to this subject, right? So let's, uh, I told you Acts 2, verse 43, right? Is everybody there? I need to turn a page. Here we go. Acts chapter 2, verse 43 and we're going to read to verse 47. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe, and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. So here we see, we see both things happening, right? This is the early church just getting started. So we, first we see that they, they gathered together in the temple, a bigger space, a bigger gathering, but also said day by day they were getting together in homes. They were having meals together. So they were doing both, right? Um, we also see in Acts 5.42 that uh, Peter and some of the other apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we see what they did uh, after they were beaten and then ordered not to talk about Jesus anymore. If you look at um, Acts 5, verse 42, I'll read it to you. If you want to turn there quickly, you can. Uh, but here's what it says. Um, just the backstory, real quick before they say that. So Peter and some of the other apostles, like, they're doing signs and wonders. They're anointed and empowered by the Holy Spirit. They're preaching the gospel. The religious leaders of the day get jealous. They pull them in, and they say, you know, pretty much, you need to quit talking about Jesus, or we're going to kill you. And uh, they say really cool stuff like, who are we going to listen to, you or God? <laughs> I love it so much. And, uh, and so they're like, okay, what are we going to do, you know? We threatened them, but it's kind of a hollow threat because if we kill these guys, all these people that are seeing the miracles happen, all these people that are experiencing the life change that has happened because Jesus and his gospel have gripped their heart, they'll probably kill us, so we can't kill them. So they just give them a real good beating, okay? And they say, now don't talk about Jesus anymore. In verse 42, here's what they went out and did directly after that situation. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. <laughs> I mean, sweet Jesus, are you kidding me? If you're a Christian and you're paying attention to what I just said and you haven't already 
like checked out on me. Like some conviction should have seriously seized your heart because here's like, let's just make it real today. The cops show up at your house, right? They got a court order. They drag you out of your house. They drag you down to the courthouse, put you in front of the judge. And the judge says, here's the thing. Uh, you're getting way too much influence. You're shaking things up. We don't really like what you're saying. You need to quit talking about Jesus. And just to make sure you get the point, boys, and he looks at the cops, and the cops give you a thorough beatdown uh, just to make sure you get the point and that, that you understand. Break your nose, rough you up. What, what's our response going to be? I mean, apparently, our, the guys that went before us in the faith, they would have you know, pulled out a kerchief, wiped the blood off their face, and walked down to the corner and started talking about Jesus again. They, they were not worried about it. Um, apparently, the gospel and its beautiful message meant more to them than even their well-being. Um, <laughs> here's why we, I feel convicted, because here's the deal. Sometimes, I mean, it's hard to pull us away from the idiot box long enough to even mention Jesus to somebody, much less risk life and limb to spread this beautiful gospel, right? What's the idiot box? That's your television and or TV or wherever you spend time numbing your mind, right? Because that's our problem for, for many of us. We just... You know, we have way too much free time and we waste it. Um, so these and other scriptures like the ones where Jesus, uh, Jesus attends and teaches in the temple. So we look at these scriptures where it, it tells us that uh, the early church and the apostles, they, were, they did meet in the temple. They met in the temple courts. They, they got together in larger gatherings. Uh, but also they were meeting day by day uh, in homes and smaller groups. We also see that Jesus... Uh, attended and taught in the temple, so clearly he didn't come to just abolish large gatherings and, and didn't call them useless like some people would today. Uh, so that's why we don't overcorrect and do away with corporate gatherings. Uh, sometimes, you know, when someone tries to create a false dichotomy, and, and what I mean when I say that, a dichotomy is like a conflict. So sometimes, sometimes people set things up as if there's these two things that are opposing in conflict and they're not really. And, and sometimes people do that in the form of a question like, well, should we do little gatherings in homes or should we do big gatherings in other large buildings? And our answer is yes. Yes, do both. We believe they're both biblical and we believe they're both beneficial in different ways. We can accomplish things when we gather here together like this that can't be accomplished as well in just a small group gathering in a house. And the, and the opposite is true. There is more opportunity for dialogue when we gather together in smaller groups. There's more opportunity for us to teach and challenge each other, right? And so all of these things are beneficial. All of these are a part of uh, the whole discipleship process, okay? Um, I believe that we have great corporate gatherings and that we have had some opportunities so far even to have smaller gatherings and Bible studies but I'm, I'm really excited. I'm really, really excited to tell you that we've been working aggressively to get uh, community groups launched. And in the next couple months, we're going to be doing that. It's, we're going to go full steam ahead and uh, we're going to get that done. But I'm, I'm trying to lay some groundwork here because, you know, some of you just don't like change. Some people, maybe you've been a part of something called a small group or a community group um, at another church. And it was like, just awkward. People sat in a circle and stared at each other, and it got real weird. And so, you know, you did the old fake phone call, pulled the phone out, like, "Oh, yep, yes, mom. Oh, are you serious? I'm okay. I'm coming, right?" And you know, and you <laughs> had an emergency. Um, you know, some of you are slick. We know, okay. And yes, I've done the fake phone call. So, 
God forgive me too. Um, but we, you know, you could ask the question, well, I mean, uh, this church was planned in January 2012. Why hasn't a small, if it's such a big deal, why hasn't community groups already happened? It's because we're doing a lot of prayer and a lot of consideration and reading a lot and asking the Lord to help us to craft and build these in such a way that they're going to be really, really fruitful and really, really helpful and strategically help with discipling people in a real and vibrant way. We're not just going to have you show up at somebody's house and stare at each other and just you know, see who dares to break the silence. Um, we're going to ask for God's anointing uh, to help us so that these things really, really are targeted and do what it is that we believe God wants them to do, okay? Um, now, we don't want to just say things like, well, you know, obviously the early church met in homes, and so we should do it too. Uh, and then, you know, put a sign up in the back and expect everyone to fight over the pen, you know, to, to get a hold of it and sign up for community groups. We, we want to look at the scriptures and we want to ask for God's wisdom to understand why did the early church gather like that? Why did the apostles, why did those first Christians feel compelled, obviously, not only to gather together in the temple for worship, but also to get together in smaller groups? What is it that drove them? Was it just that they really liked each other that much, and maybe we don't, and so we don't need to do that? <laughs> no, we like each other. Oh, good. It's a tough crowd. Um, no, that's, that's not the case. Um, when you read Acts 2, like, we have to ask the question, why does it not seem like a burden or a duty? Because some of you are already like lining up the excuses of why you're not going to be able to go to a community group. And here's the thing. Like, it, when you read Acts 2, you don't get the sense that it was, you know, like Peter and, and James and John stood up and said, listen, all you rapscallions, you're going to gather together in small groups, and you're going to do it because... You know, we sat around the campfire with Jesus, and so we have his vicarious authority, and you're just going to do what we tell you. It's, it's, it really, you get the sense reading from Acts 2, like, it's like day by day, like they were, they couldn't wait to get together again to, to push each other on and to, to have gospel-centered fellowship. And so, like, why is that? And why is it that sometimes we don't have that strong desire? Why is it that sometimes our appetite is like to do everything but that? We should do some self-evaluation as we think through this, okay? So uh, instead of just saying, well, the early church did it, so we're going to do it, I want to give you some reasons um, why community groups here at Love City is going to be an absolutely vital part of the discipleship process and why we're going to encourage absolutely everybody to be a part of one. Now, there will be situations right off the bat that I understand people may not be able to get in a community group. We're only going to have a limited number in the beginning. However, the goal is to get to the point that as we train and raise up leaders, that there will be ample and multiple opportunities. And so if you find yourself in a situation where, you know, at some point we've got 10 groups on 10 different nights and somehow your schedule is still prohibitive, I would encourage you to try, try to do something about it. You know, it's, it's, it's that important. We're going to encourage it that much. We're going to mention it a lot and, and make it a little bit uncomfortable for you, okay? So, because we love you and we're really convinced that this is going to be a source of joy for you if you want to be a, a, a closer Christian to Jesus and you want to be closer to other Christians, okay? So, um, a few reasons. First of all, it's biblical. I think we've already covered that. We've looked at Acts, several other reasons why, um, all through scriptures, and we'll look at more because this isn't the last time we're going to talk about this, but reason number one 
that we're going to do community groups is we believe it's biblical because we're Bible people. We love the Word, and we believe it is our blueprint for life. And so we're really excited about whatever it tells us to do, right? Yay, even when it hurts. Yay, even when it's convicting. Yay, even when I don't want to. Yay, obedience is fun. Your enthusiasm is difficult to contain. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Um, okay, reason number two. So reason number one is it's biblical. Why we're going to do community groups, why it's going to be a vital part of discipleship for us. Reason number two, Christians were made to be connected in community. Okay? Um, the beginning of John 15, Jesus teaches using a parable. He draws this beautiful picture. It's so impactful, and it helps us understand the importance of our connection to him and our connection to each other. Um, he tells us that he is the vine, and we are the branches. Okay? Um, let me get you three guys, you ushers right there. Come help me real quick, just so I can illustrate this. Um, here's... Here's what I want to show you, and one of you is going to have to be Jesus the vine, so figure out now who's the humblest, sweetest, best one. Okay. <laughs> Andrew got up to leave the room, so I guess he's taking himself out of that. Okay. Stand right here. All right. Here's what I want you to do. You're, you're going to be Jesus. Isn't Lyndall sweet? He should be Jesus. on his, 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 Yeah. We'll make Lyndall Jesus. Okay. So here, here's, here's what Jesus says. He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Okay. So if imagine, they're, and they're in green. We didn't even plan that. Look at that. Okay, so don't be nervous. This is okay. You don't have to do anything but stand here. I'm going to do the rest of the work, okay? Lyndall hates me right now that I did this to him. Okay, so Lyndall is the vine, right? And Jesus says that he is the vine. The vine does what? The vine is what connects to the ground. It's got the roots. It pulls the nutrients. It is the source of life for all of the branches. Now, I'm going to make you guys get weird here. You put your hands up and connect to those guys. These guys are branches. You're the vine. You don't have to hold hands. I'd prefer, actually, that you didn't. Okay, so they're connected, all right? They're connected. Okay, this is the vine. These are the branches, okay? So what does Jesus say? He says, he is the vine. We are the branches, okay? So here's a couple things I want to point out from this. And here's, this may seem just ridiculously simple, but some of the most profound truths are sometimes the simplest. And so, you know, I re this is not kindergarten, but we got to get this right here because I think oftentimes we miss it. Automatically. If this is the vine connected to the ground, these branches are not connected to the ground. So, so life, nutrient, everything that, and this is, that's what Jesus is saying, right, with us. He is the source of life. He goes on to say in that parable, you separate from me, you get gathered up with dry twigs and you get burned because you die. Jesus is the very source of life. We have to be connected to Jesus. But if we're connected to Jesus, who are we automatically also connected to? To each other. And see, many times we erroneously believe we can be connected to Jesus, but not to his people. You can't do it. It's absolutely impossible. It won't work. Now, here's what happens, and here's community for us, and, and really I think for every, every Christian community that really is trying to follow the scriptures, it should be a weapon against sin, because sin always separates. So what sin does is comes, and let me break this, and separates and so now, not only is this branch not connected to Christ, the source of life, but now he's not connected to this brother. And I've told you before, sin separates relationships between people and people and between people and God. Sin always separates. However, we are called to be in community. If Jesus is the vine 
If you're a Christian, you're a branch. You can't help but be connected to other Christians, and it should be real. And your fate is tied to theirs. That's the picture we see in Acts 2. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, give them a hand. Yay! They didn't pass out from nervousness. It's hard being up here, isn't it? You guys appreciate me more now, looking at these stone-cold faces. <laughs> Not really. You guys have great faces. Um, you get the point, though? You, you aren't connected to Christ without being connected to other people. Not if it's working right. And so oftentimes we think we can stand over here and be the branch by ourselves, and we just connect to Christ. If you're connected to the source of life, which is King Jesus, you should be and should be happy about being connected to other Christians. We are called to be in community together. We are called to be of one purpose, of one mind, and that is the glory and the exaltation of the vine. That is King Jesus. That's our ultimate goal. Um. Isolation is always our response to sin. Community is our response to reconciliation. Um, living in real community, though, can be hard. Because real relationships require vulnerability. And none of us like that. If we're honest. And I keep using the word real, so don't, don't make this too easy on yourself. Real relationships require vulnerability. I know you can have acquaintances and like high five buddies or even like, hey, how you doing? I'm talking about somebody that knows you well enough to call you out. Somebody that knows you well enough to actually keep you accountable. Somebody that when you're slipping and you know you're not thinking right, that you can, you can talk to them and know that they're going to they're gonna confront your sinful attitude with a scripture or they're going to help you think about it the way Jesus would. Those are real relationships. And we should have those if we're really connected in community. That's part of what community groups is supposed to foster. Uh, but it's hard because many times, many of us have spent a lot of time developing our sinful independent attitudes. And the fact that we live in the country we do does not help with this. Uh, we have a rugged sense of individuality here in the U.S. that is honestly... It would be weird to some people in some parts of the world how individualistic we are. Um, I was talking to a, a good friend of mine just last week, and he was giving, he told me this example. Uh, he said, oftentimes we think of ourselves as bowling balls, like round, hard spheres that we may bump into each other every once in a while, but but that's all that happens. And really, we're we're more like we're more like sponges that are porous that. When our lives come together, they should be able to kind of form into each other and even melt into each other, almost like candles on a hot day. Our lives should melt and weld together and get to the point where you can't really pull them apart, right? Because if Jesus is the vine, he's the source of life, and we're the branches coming off of that, there should be a level of connection there. It should hurt if you separate from it. You should feel it. You should know if you're not, and it should bother you. Uh, I am definitely guilty of this. Um, I still have to fight a tendency many times to just go it alone, um, if I'm just being honest. Um, being a hurt a lot at a very young age uh, because of sin, both my own sin and sin committed against me, uh, I, I decided very young that I would just hate everybody and that 
I didn't need anybody, and that, to me, seemed a logical way to insulate myself from pain, right? And so some of us do this as a defense mechanism in varying degrees. Not all of you have consciously, maybe in your life, ever made a decision that I'm going to hate everybody. Like, I was that far. The devil really, really was doing a good job with me. Um, but, you know, by 10 years old, I just decided, well, if I meet you and hate you, there's no way you can hurt me. So it doesn't matter. Um, that's kind of an extreme version of this sinful tendency, but it shows up sometimes like even in um, the sports that some people prefer to watch and be a part of. Uh, again, this is just using myself as an example because uh, I'll go first and say that I'm, I don't do good at this all the time. Uh, I, I really enjoy uh, like watching uh, MMA and even participating. I've trained um, in jiu-jitsu for many years, and so if, if I'm not injured, I got no problem getting together with some guys and training, get down on the mat, bend each other's arms backwards and stuff. It's fun. You know, some of you have been in here have been a part of that, and so it's a really great time. Um, <laughs> making a man tap out is, is um, there's few things like it. Uh, it's very enjoyable. Um, also, short caveat, there, there's a brand of clothing called Tap Out. I just think you should have tapped somebody out if you're going to wear that, just at least one time in your life. That's got nothing to do with anything we're saying, but uh, it just seems right to me. Okay? On we go. But so you'll see me, I mean, some of these guys know, man, you, you push me hard enough, we'll drop in the grass anywhere and we can, we can roll right there. I'm, I'm down to roll jiu-jitsu anytime, but you will rarely ever see me play a team sport. And part of that is my sinful tendency because I get frustrated when I have to rely on other people and they let me down. I get frustrated playing basketball or some other sport where if I pass it to you and you miss it or screw it up, like all of a sudden Pastor Vince doesn't have a good attitude, right? Because I'm not winning and it was someone else's fault. Um, And, you know, yeah, it's not good, right? So oftentimes in the past... I've opted out, you know, hey, we're going to go do this. Oh, you know, the old knee. When really, I know the problem is my sinful tendency to prefer to just go it alone. And so I got no problem with sports where it's just me because it's just me. I can count on me. I'm not going to let me down. And at the end of the day, if I mess up, then I can only blame myself. That's not going to trans. That sinful, prideful, nasty attitude that I'm talking about right there will not transfer well to accomplishing the mission that God has given us. It will not work at all because God purposely puts us in a situation where we desperately need each other. He puts a variety of gifts together so that not any one of us is qualified to complete the mission that he's given us. So he, should sh- he shows us mercifully and gracefully that we need each other. Different people that he calls together to accomplish a mission, are good at different things. And the devil always tries to make differences into issues, right? Because, you know, he tries to get us to be all about our our single issue. You know, if if somebody's uh, different departments within a, a, say, a church, you know, you've got a children's department, you've got an outreach department, he'll try to get people that are really gifted at outreach to think that everybody that isn't into outreach as much as they are is, is a sinful, just loser Christian, that should quit, you know, <laughs> like they get to that point. Or the, the people in the children's department will say, well, I mean, if you don't love kids, surely you don't love Jesus, right? You know, you can get to this point where 
You don't see difference as strength. You don't see variety as strength. You don't see what God is doing by bringing people with different passions together. Jesus is our ultimate passion and should be the highest and greatest for all of us, but he gives us varying strengths, varying diverse gifts within the body. And so uh, the whole solo deal that I struggle with, that's not going to work. It won't work. We can't accomplish God's mission without each other, and that's why we have to exist as a real, authentic, vibrant community, and we got to be happy about it. Right? Right. So do better than me. Um, okay, so reason number two is that we were made to be in community. I think that's clear from the scriptures. It's clear that we're called to be together. Reason number three is that us living in community will showcase the gospel to the world and it will identify us as belonging to Jesus. If you would turn with me to John chapter 13, we're going to be in uh, verse 34. Reason number three why community is important for us and why community groups is going to be an essential part of our discipleship process is that living in community will showcase the gospel to the world and it's going to identify us as belonging to Jesus. Uh, Living in real, authentic, accountable community is not the norm in our culture today. The sin of pride that births every other sin always causes us to stand off in isolation, keeping others at a seemingly safe distance. Anybody willing to admit that they've done that before? Anybody ever said love at a distance? Now, I understand what that means. There are some people that prove themselves untrustworthy by continually, over and over again, stomping on your heart. And I'm not saying you have to open yourself to 100% vulnerability with somebody like that. However, it is not okay to do what I've done in my past and just keep everybody out at arm's length at a safe distance where there's no real emotional connection, there's no real vulnerability, and we can just kind of put on this veneer facade that everything's cool, but we have no real... We're not connected to somebody, anybody, to the point where if there was separation there, it would hurt, right? You start ripping branches off the vine, we should feel it. You should feel it. You should have people in your life that you're in real, authentic community with, that you have lashed yourself together with them, that you are on mission going the same direction they are, that you have the same goal, and you're willing to help them get there, and they're going to help you. Okay? It's beautiful because it's not just about you getting the help you need. It's about you being there with your gifts to help them. And when that works like it should, the gospel is lifted up, and we see sacrifice work, and we see real love, okay? And we'll, we'll look at that here as well. Um, and when we keep each other to, at a seemingly safe distance like that, th- this is why uh, if, we can live, if we can live in and be a real authentic community, it will increase the brightness of our light that shines before men. The Bible says that we, are, we as Christians are supposed to be a light amidst the darkness. And, I mean... It'll be like hooking our flashlight up to an extra battery if we, can, if we can really exist in authentic community. The light that we shine in this culture at large, it, it's not normal to live in real community. It's not normal to really lay down your life for other people to be on mission and to reach a goal with them. Most of what's going on around us are are fragmented lives, fragmented relationships, selfish gain, and kind of everybody doing their own thing. 
crossing paths when it's convenient, no intentionality to being community. That's most of what you see. And so people laying down preferences, laying down comfort and convenience as they obey Jesus to be in community, that's going to shine bright. That's going, that, the light of that type of living is going to shine bright and it's going to push back the darkness of selfishness that consumes so many of us. Uh, John 13, I don't know if I told you which scripture to go to yet. I'm going to start in verse 34, okay? This is Jesus speaking to his men, uh, shaking things up like he normally does. Verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you. You could do yourself a great service spending much time contemplating on the fact that Jesus has called us, his people, to love each other, and then he qualifies it, the way that I've loved you. We're going to see that the way Jesus loves us is he goes all the way to laying his life down for us. That is the call. And that's what it's going to take for real, authentic community to exist. For this thing to work, people are going to have to be willing to, to lay down their life. You, you see what happened in Acts? You remember when we were reading in Acts 2? It said they, all, they had everything in common, like this... this all this individualistic, like selfish pursuit of all of what I'm doing, it seemed, you get this sense that it, like all of that got laid down. It all became about Jesus. And because it all became about Jesus, it brought those people together in such a way that the world had never seen. And it began to rock the ancient world. And that's part of why the church exploded. And that's part of what's needed today, to shake and get the attention of the culture around us somebody's going to have to step up and somebody's going to have to live sacrificially. And I say, why not us? A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for the other. There are many ways that Christians... And Christian churches try to let everyone know that they belong to Jesus. The most vibrant and effective way to get the attention of those that do not already serve Christ and to let them know that you belong to him is to love, first of all, that we love each other the way that Jesus loved us and that we're willing to love even those that are not of us with the same type of sacrificial love. A community the way that Jesus sees it the way that he lays it out for us, a community that really works the way he's called us to will catch the attention of those around us. We should live in, with our lives and our resources and our, and our affections and our, our clear pursuit of what matters. All of that should be so in common, as Acts says, that the overflow of our life and our speech, and when we talk about it, it should come out in such a way that those that are not a part of us, curiosity should be struck in them. When they see the way that we relate to each other, when they hear that, yeah, you know what, that, yeah, this Saturday I'm, I'm, going to, I'm going to help so-and-so move, or I'm going, to, I'm going to help do this, or we're making food for, th you know, this family's struggling, they're in the hospital, or whatever's happening, we love, we take care of each other. It's, it's not convenient to stop what I'm doing and go buy extra groceries and make a meal for somebody that's sick and struggling. But my God, it says something to them. 
that I love you and you're more important than me. And that's not the way the world works. And so that should draw a clear distinction between us and them. Not that we're dividing from them to hide from them, but really that we're standing up and saying, look, this, this is the way we were created to exist. That we, that we love God in response to his great love to us, but then we reflect that love to others. That we're willing to lay down our lives for the benefit of others. That's what Jesus, that's how he loved us. And so I challenge you this week, Love City, if you forget everything else I said, do this. Think this week. How has Jesus loved me? Where did he stop? Where did he draw the line? Where did he say, I'm not going that far for you? He never drew a line. He took it all the way to his blood pouring down a cross so that you who are even still at that point a rebel, didn't even love him yet, so that you could have a way to be saved and be reconciled. And we're called to love like that. It's going to take his power. It's going to take his grace. It's going to take his anointing because none of us is just going to go, oh, okay, I'll live like that. We have to fight every day to crush pride in our heart by the power of God and to prefer others above ourselves. We have to ask for God's Holy Spirit to give us his grace and to see people the way he does. It, It won't be easy. And I'm sorry if somebody lied to you and said, hey, become a Christian. It'll make everything easy. I'm coming to run a wrecking ball through that lie for you. Uh, You signed up to die. Pick up your cross and carry me. And follow me, rather. Pick up your cross and follow me. That was the call of Christ. Now, there is immense blessing in it. That's, That's the thing. Like, There's so much joy in serving Jesus. There's so much joy in being on mission and being in community. Like, it's, that's what I'm looking for. Like, I'm looking for people to understand and look forward to the fact that community groups are going to be awesome. For people that really get it and like, and, and love Jesus and love other people, it's going to be a great joy for them to gather with others, to have something to eat, to sit down and talk about the scriptures, to to challenge each other, to spur each other on to good works, to separate, break down into even smaller groups and ask each other hard questions. We're going to look forward to that. Somebody that has really been redeemed by the blood of Christ and somebody that really thoroughly loves the scriptures and wants to be on mission, they're going to see this as a great benefit and it's going to be a joy for them. It's not going to be a a constant arm twist or something else to check off on a schedule, but uh, I, I want to get like the guys in Acts where it's, nobody was badgering him, but it said day by day, like every day, they couldn't wait to get off work and go get together, get something to eat, and talk about Jesus and how good he was. That's what we're looking for. Love is defined in 1 John 3.16 by the cross of Christ and the laying down of his life. And we're going to have to lay down our lives following the example of the early church and lashing ourselves inseparably together for the completing of our mission and the reaching of our goal to show the world the beautiful hope of the gospel. Much of our struggle and one of the reasons why God called us to name this church Love City is to bring a full frontal assault to misconceptions 
about love because you could read the scriptures there in John 13. And if you have this idea that love is an emotion or love is a, a, even like a, just a really strong emotion, like love is the strongest emotion you can have, if that's your definition of love, you could, you could read that and, and come away not really getting what it's calling you to. But here's what 1 John 3.16 it says. It says, by this we know love. By this we know love. So I'm going to define love for you is really how the scripture lays it out. And then it goes on to say that he laid down his life for us. Then it gives us the right reaction to that. It says, and thus we should lay down our lives for the brethren. The automatic response of the Christian, as soon as they understand that Jesus laid down everything for them, what should flow up out of them, the, the automatic natural response should be, i got to lay my life down for others. That is what should come out of us. And yet, pride and individualism and my own agenda and all this type of stuff, it, it, it's like if what should spring up out of us is a desire to lay ourselves down like Jesus did, some, like a, a cork that goes in it is, is pride and selfishness and all this other stuff. And so I say, let the passion and excitement about what Jesus did, let it blow the top on that thing and let it consume and overtake all that we do. Let it inform our actions and reactions and the way that we relate to each other. We believe that community groups done well will be an environment that creates opportunities for this kind of growing together. That's why we're going to do it. We are not going to do community groups because we read some book that said big churches do community groups. That is not the point. The point is that we believe God has called us to make disciples that are willing to jump in and be a part of the mission of telling people about Jesus. And so we are thoroughly convinced that community groups are going to help us to build faithful disciples that are willing to lay their lives down. Because being an authentic community is going to lend itself to that end. In crafting this and thinking about it, I've anticipated some potential objections. And so I want to just acknowledge those. Um, I've already said that some of you may have already had a bad experience. I would just, I would ask you as we roll this out and as we begin to ask people to do whatever it takes to be a part of a community group, I would just ask that you please don't let prior experience uh, dictate how you're going to go about this. Give it, give it a shot minimally. And I would say even more than that, like pray now and begin to pray that these do exactly what we're hoping that they do. We want disciples that love Jesus more and love each other more. Anybody not in on that or like voting for that or think that's a good idea? Woohoo! Yeah, right? If we took it to a vote, hopefully we'd get all yays, right? That's old English, is how they said yes. Maybe you haven't seen any movies about knights and stuff. Um, you should, because knights are cool. They use swords. Okay. Um, your objections, potential objections, things you may say, things you may be thinking but wouldn't say, things you'll probably say as long as you know I can't hear you, okay? Uh, why can't we just do it organically? Why do we have to organize everything, right? Why do we have to organize community groups? Why can't it just be people getting together organically and you know, it just seems fake if it has to be structured and scheduled. I hear you. Um, 
And it, it's really funny because, you know, like everyone in the baby boomer age group is like, yes, some structure to something, finally, you know, and all the millennials are like, we don't need structure, <laughs> you know, let's just skip around and we'll go to a coffee shop and maybe we'll all end up there at the same time and that'll be great. Um, why do we need structure? Here's the thing, it's, it's a fair question and honestly I've thought of it myself because um, I even have some of that millennial tendency to like not want to rigidly organize everything because it does seem like it takes away from some of the authenticity, but I don't think it has to and I think that's, that's kind of a sinful misconception on, on, on our parts. Um, the key here in why it does need to be structured, why it does need to be organized um, is intentionality. Intentionality is the key because community groups are being purpose-built to facilitate gospel-centered friendships, accountability, and discipleship. Uh, And I would encourage you to be intentional with every opportunity you have to gather with friends, but the reality is groups of friends getting together just to fellowship or hang out, there are great fruit and, and gospel purpose things that can come out of situations like that, but most of the time you're not coming together and saying, okay, we actually want to accomplish a goal here and we're all about discipling each other right now and figuring out how to become better disciples. And that's okay because sometimes you just want to get together you know, and cook a marshmallow over an open fire or sometimes guys want to get together and hike and climb stuff, you know. So cool things can happen from a bunch of guys going to the mountains and hiking together. I mean, you can have really cool gospel conversations, but that's different than what we're talking about here. We're talking about coming together for gospel-centered, specific discipleship, um, building of friendship, and, and serious accountability. So it does need to be structured, and there does need to be some type of a plan uh, because we have a real serious goal in mind. Uh, but it doesn't mean that it won't be fun. I believe it will be fun, as long as we have a good attitude about it. Um, another potential objection or something that somebody might say in this, there's a hundred different ways to say this, but the bottom line sentiment is, you know, I don't have time. I won't have time. My schedule is la-di-da. Um, we intentionally here at Love City, we've never done a midweek service because we were anticipating the vital role of community groups. And some people have come up during the life of this church and said, why don't we have a midweek service? We should have a midweek service. It's too long. I get you. I feel you. I can't wait to see your face either. However, we've not done that because we wanted to keep the schedule open because we knew that as soon as possible, we were going to roll out a, a serious, aggressive campaign to have community groups be a part of our discipleship process. And so we believe that we will get uh, much more impact and accomplish much more by doing community groups than we would a midweek service. And so there's that in consideration of your schedule. Uh, also, I mean, the reality is we all make time for what matters. Can we just be honest with ourselves? And I realize, like I said, sometimes there's restrictions. Listen, if anybody understands difficult schedules, I promise you, I do. Um, don't need to spell it out for you, but I understand busyness. So I have all the compassion in the world for that. However, I make time for what's important in my life. And I really just hope that this is important for all of us, um, that we can be convinced that it's 
It's going to be a gift and a, and a benefit from God as opposed to just some program we're trying to start because it's really not the point. Uh, we're going to have community groups in different places on different nights to hopefully accommodate as many people and as many schedules as possible. Uh, and the numbers of groups and thus options for nights and times will only increase as we raise up and train more leaders to lead those. Okay, so even if in the first swath of community groups that come out, the first however many we have, uh, if something doesn't work then, don't give up and don't, please don't think that it was because nobody cared. You've only got so many people right at the beginning, they're going to be able to, to lead them. But we will automatically be aggressively training people uh, to, lead, to lead more groups, to make more opportunities for more people to get involved. I mean, everybody tells you it's impossible for 100% of any church congregation to be in a community group. I'm just that guy that's going to believe for that anyways. I'm just going to believe that everybody is going to care enough about it and, and really want to be discipled and want to help disciple others. And so they're just going to do what it takes to be in one. And uh, so we'll badger you until it happens. Okay, great. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's, and it's not, gonna, it's not a requirement. We're not, we're not even going to talk like that. We can't, nobody can make you. I just, I want to whet your appetite and I, I, I want to try to work through God's anointing and by his help for it to be something that nobody has to try to convince you to do. I just, I, those early Christians, man, they wanted to be together. They wanted to come together and push each other to love Jesus more. They wanted to come together and challenge each other to go out and be a bolder witness for Christ. Like something in them, a passion in them, overtook schedule and everything else they had going on. And like what they wanted more than anything was to get together and to lift the gospel up and to exalt Christ. And so I just believe we're no different than they are. We may have to work through some stuff, some misconceptions of you know, that are built into how we live because of our culture, but um, I think we can do it. Community is only possible because of the reconciling power of the cross. We only can have community with God the Father and communion with Him because of the cross, um, and we can only be connected to God and each other. We would not be able to be connected to God and each other if it were not for the gospel. And... Uh, just in case you don't know what I mean when I say gospel, the gospel is the good news. We have, a strong, we have a strong conviction here that the good news makes no sense without the bad news. And so here's the deal. God created man from the beginning, and everything was perfect, but man fell. Sin got in there. Just like, just like we saw that one brother disconnected from the other, sin always separates. And so mankind was separated from God. And we the Bible makes clear that all of us have sinned, that we are sinners by nature and choice. And so man and woman was created perfect, and because of that perfection, they were able to be in relationship with a perfect God. Perfection is what's required to be in relationship with God because he's perfect, he's holy. That's terrible news for everybody that's ever breathed because we've all sinned, and we're all aware of it. If you're not perfect, then there's separation between you and the God that made you. Here's the beautiful thing. That's really bad news, but that's why the gospel's such good news. That's why it's the gem that it is. That's why we're passionate about it. That's why we're willing to lay down our lives to live in real community together so that we can be a part of furthering this right here. Though every person is separated from God by sin, 
Every person can be reconciled because Jesus came. He lived the perfect life that we failed to live. He pulled it off. He lived the perfect life we couldn't. And then stepped up to the plate and died the death that we should have died. Got in between us and the wrath of God and said, I'll take it. They nailed him to a cross. He bled out there and he died. And they buried him, but three days later he rose from death, totally proving that he was who he said he was. That he was the Christ, the Savior. He was the Messiah, the one that would come and he would reconcile us to the God that made us. So Jesus isn't dead, he's alive. He's ascended to the Father and he sent us his Holy Spirit. And that Holy Spirit helps us to relate to each other and to live in the community and to be empowered to spread this good news and this gospel message. That's what we, that's, that's what we want to spend our lives doing. Tell as many people as possible, you don't have to be hopeless. Jesus has made a way. There's reason for hope always. We want the way that we live and love and work together to be a great source of joy for every Christian at Love City and a blinding light to those around us still living isolated and separated from God and others. The way that, the way that we relate to each other. Here's the thing. I know it, I know it sounds like it's all, it's all just a call to sacrifice and of course that's in there, but you have to remember the flip side. If we're all doing that... <laughs> Like, it's going to be awesome <laughs> because we're going to lend to each other strengths that are going to fill in weaknesses. And we all become better because of it. When we're willing to lay down our life, like, we all become stronger. Like, it, it, it may sound like, oh, it's going to be so draining, but no, it's going to be life giving. It's going to be joy producing because you're going to see that where you're weak, your brothers and sisters are strong. And when we, when we bring all those strengths together, what we have is a formidable force that can actually accomplish the mission God has given us. And there's joy in that. Just the simple fact that I get to be a part of proclaiming the gospel to a world that doesn't know it, that doesn't get it, that is hopeless, that's living to chase material things and whatever else the devil dangles in front of their eyes. Like that's the, that's the height of their existence. No, e no eternal conscience at all. No idea even that there's something beyond this life. They just... Ho-hum, day-to-day, what an existence. And there's more. There's more to life than that. And we hold that beautiful truth. And we're going to exemplify it through community and then preach it boldly.